Welcome to Fintech Impact. This podcast is an exploration of the financial technology world, interviewing different fintech entrepreneurs about what they do, their story, and what their impact is on consumers, incumbents, and the industry as a whole. Here's your host, award-winning financial planner, university lecturer, and writer, Jason Pereira. Hello, welcome to Fintech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today on the show, I have Dan Rosen, co-founder and CEO of Digit. Digit is what I can only describe as a next-generation wealth management platform that combines asset management, attribution, risk management, and financial planning into one very slick offering. And with that, here's my interview with Dan. Hello, Dan. Hi, Jason. Thank Thanks you. a lot for having me. Well, thank you for coming in. So Dan Rosen, CEO and co-founder of Digit. Tell us all about Digit. All about Digit. So Digit is a new digital wealth management platform. We offer transparent portfolio management services for financial advisors and their clients. And it's powered by really cool and advanced analytics and risk management tools. So let me try to tell you where we're coming from. We, mm-hmm. As we got into this space, we, I mean, the world of wealth management is just going through a complete revolution. Advisors are, are under tremendous pressure. There's new types of clients. The demographics are changing. Younger clients are demanding a digital experience and everything in real time. Investors are questioning the value of the advice and why are fees so high? How, mm-hmm. are, how come you're charging me 1% of fees versus... Robos charging 25 bips or being able to have everything in ETFs. There's a new regulatory environment that is going to keep on uh, creating some challenges for the advisors and intensified competition coming all the way from the bottom to even fund companies trying to get into this. And this is all forcing a really demanding compression of fees for advisors, which is which is changing their business. So that's the first part. And unfortunately, wealth managers have been at a disadvantage compared to institutional investors and banks. These institutions have been using advanced portfolio management tools, analytics, and new Typically technologies. Typically internally for their own purposes, for, not for their own facing purpose. out the clients. Yes. Exactly. But not facing the clients and not giving giving it to the advisors that are facing the clients. So the technology has been a little bit outdated and there's lack of tools to manage that client relationship. Maybe there's a tools to create portfolios, to manage those portfolios. Maybe large institutions are providing those, but that link between the advisor and the client and how they do that better has been really underserved at the least. And in the end, that's going to change tremendously how the world is working. And this is creating a new, an emergence of what I think of an, a new advisory model. That advisory model is going to be a lot more digital. It doesn't mean, and, and I'll talk a little bit more, I'm sure, during the podcast. It still requires advisors, but it's going to be digitally driven. It's going to end-to-end workflow tools that are going to help manage the entire life cycle for advisors, reinventing the business processes, centering the business processes on the clients and not on financial products themselves Mm -hmm. and the client's goals and around much better portfolio management, much stronger and advanced finance and analytics and much better compliance and communication tools. So that's the key thing. So our goal when we set up Digit was really to empower wealth management firms and financial advisors really to transition into this new world and that's driven by technology and analytics and provide a much better value-added services to their clients and a much better experience Mm -hmm. for the clients as they do all of that. In the end, at the core of of, of Digit is, is the thesis that technology, analytics, big data, artificial intelligence, all will have tremendous impact on the wealth management industry but they're not going to eliminate the need for human advisors. If anything, this 
big advance, I think that will enhance the way the advisors provide services to their clients. Uh, they're going to help them give much better, transparent and proven services where they can show the value add they bring to their clients. They're going to be centered on clients' financial goals and their individual needs, as opposed to the actual financial products. The financial products are going to actually be made on the fly, pretty much, to satisfy those goals. Much more bespoke. Much yeah. more bespoke. And, and they're going to give a much better customized experience to those clients. And I think what this will create is a much stronger relationship between the advisor and the clients that's going to provide a lot more trust. And I think that that's the key thing, that link between the advisor and the client, if you make it fact-based, if you make it centered on the client goals, always there, as opposed to, I have this great new idea that will get you better returns, but really your need is the following, that will create a much better trust if the transparency is there. That's the key thing. And, and lastly, I believe that this democratization of all these financial analytics can enhance the quality of life and actually the quality of retirement of course, of millions and millions of individuals, right? And, mm -hmm. Well, I would agree um, with you. One of the key points in most people's lives is, is most stress around money, right? The better we can relay the experience or, or basically meet their needs and, and communicate how their needs are being met, hopefully the more we can alleviate that stress. It's, 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 it's actually a very interesting problem, right? I, I came into finance actually fairly late, so I didn't have an appreciation of finance. And mm. now I'm like such fanatic, but I was invited for a competition actually in a couple of weeks and we were selected for this big competition for a new uh, startup and advances that, that, that are going to compete to go and present in the palace in England. And uh, <laughs> really? it's, it's actually re re really cool. But I'm, I'm competing against all these cool startups that are doing things like in space and other things. And I'm thinking, yeah. how do I make finance <laughs> cool for them, right? But I think you raised the And how do I get the point. queen to invest? That's what but, you're looking for. <laughs> but, but here is the thing. It doesn't look as sexy. It looks a little bit like, like nerdy and not as interesting. But think of the three most important decisions that we make in our lives. I would argue that two of them are purely financial and the third one doesn't look like it's financial, but I argue that you might even have a financial it's component. I always, right. No, it's, it's, it's what I always tell my students is, this, you know, one of the biggest mistakes you make in, in two biggest mistakes you make in life typically are A, buying too much house and B, marrying the wrong person. Marrying the wrong and, person. And, and the third one is not planning enough for your old age. Absolutely. And it looks, it's, they're not, the last two are not sexy. I mean, the marriage, it sounds like, okay, this everyone can relate to. But the other two have a humongous impact in people's lives. Absolutely. It's in the quality of life of people and in particular at old age where, yeah. where, I mean. Oh, it's when I see seniors are... with stress around money, there is nothing that breaks my heart more. And I always say like, you know, the, the, the one thing I want for my clients, all of you, is like you can complain about the money situation now, but it's something else to be facing bankruptcy when you're in your 70s. That is just a devastating place to be in life. And that is something that is only solved through proper planning. It's proper planning. And the point that, I, that I'd like, like to raise, it's a difficult problem. You need a professional to help you doing Absolutely. that. I mean, you need a professional to help you fix your car. You need a professional even hey. to get you in shape to do some stuff. But yeah, definitely finance is, is, yeah. is a difficult problem. And you need a professional. You want that professional to have the best tools. And that professional needs to become a coach. Yep. And needs to figure out and understand the behavior, the needs, and the yeah. psychology also. Pairing, pairing classical economics and behavioral economics is a much is a, is a recipe for success, uh, as opposed to just talking about alphas and returns. Exactly, that's and, and that's where, where where I think the discussion. That's where I think 
advisors and wealth management firms can do a much, much better job with their clients. So that was my, my elevator speech, which of course got <laughs> sidetracked in, in what no, I think. No, it's okay. Is it was interesting. But, uh, and it, was, it was a vision that I, I, I believe I share as well. So before we care, we dissect the number of things, we took a lot of notes there. Let's go into your history. Uh, let's talk about what you were doing. You said you came into finance late. Let's talk about what you were doing before and how you came into it. Yeah. So um, my joke is that I'm a recovering academic. Clearly, I didn't recover because I still teach at the University of Toronto. It's okay. I'm a part-time <laughs> academic. So go ahead. <laughs> so I actually stayed in university for a very long time. I, I got my PhD in chemical engineering at the University of Toronto. This is how I ended up in in uh, and that's how you in Canada. <laughs> and my friends tell me that I went from doing chemistry to doing alchemy. That's the <laughs> That, there that's, is something so true to that. Yes. That and, and the funny thing is, I was working with CDOs in uh, in our previous lives. So, yeah, so there was, was alchemy. The ability to to make gold out of well, we can uh, talk about. We all yes. know what it was. But uh, yeah, that, that that's a little bit seriously. That's that's a joke. But I really moved into. I mean, I did mathematical modeling all through uh, graduate school, and and I stayed in university for several more years. And I moved into doing financial engineering and. I thought I would, I would stay in university, but I got this opportunity in the 90s. It was the 90s, and I had all these friends moving into really nice and cool tech That's and companies. Yep. And so I had to say, I, so I, one day I said, let's try. And I, and I went and I moved into a really cool startup was uh, called Algorithmics. Algorithmics became the largest risk management company uh, software company in the world, eventually got acquired and as part of IBM Analytics. Mm -hmm. So I came in there as a financial engineer. I headed the risk. I built the research group. I headed it. I headed all the product strategy, and and it was a phenomenal experience being in the '90s in this company that was at the center of all the financial regulation on risk. <laughs> when we the had, risk was going through the roof, <laughs> yeah. but we had the opportunity of yeah. being on pretty much on every large and advanced bank in the world. And we had a large number of those as clients it was a phenomenal experience. Oh, it's um, an incredible learning opportunity, right? Just yeah. to be able to see all those different desks and all those different different needs and the varying ways that they service customers. I mean, you took, clearly you took away a wealth of knowledge from that. Oh, it was it was the fastest uh, way to, to, uh, <laughs> to the, the fastest- Baptism uh, by fire, finance, here you go. Finance and risk management course I've ever taken. But what was, what I became addicted to, I realized, is that ability to go build something and have clients use it right away. In academia, mm. it was build it, publish a paper, then go Get and critiques, talk to people. Yeah. It would take a long time. And academia and finance particularly are, are, are actually well connected with industry. So I think that in general is a little bit faster. But that ability to build it and have if, spend the time with the clients and then build the requirements and put in all these great analytics and then seeing in a few months how they're managing entire books with those analytics mm -hmm. and reporting and really bringing a lot of value was 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 unbelievable and uh, mm -hmm. the company got sold and and uh, found the opportunity to start another company with two of my colleagues there and we started a company called R Square Financial Technology. Right. You got the bug. Uh, <laughs> got I the got bug. the bug. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we figured there was a huge opportunity to bring a lot of those risk management tools, particularly to handle multi-asset portfolios to buy side. And we, we focus on large institutional investors and hedge funds. We have some of the largest hedge funds in the world as our clients. We did uh, really, really well in, in a few years, managed to grow the company. And uh, the company, I, I sold the company to uh, S&P in 2012, stayed there for, for a few years doing uh, the integration. And uh, then we found the, the opportunity to go and really move with that technology down all the way to the wealth management and retail market. 
you know, huge opportunity, as I said, it seemed like an underserved market. And I'd like to tell you that was my idea, but really I had even, even some of my earlier clients on the headphone side saying, you know what you're doing there? You dumb it down a little bit, you put a really nice UI, and you have this humongous market oh, yeah. of wealth managers and advisors that absolutely need it. So they can do that. And they're like, you'd be surprised. They can do performance attribution very well. They can do it. Oh, it's fly. shameful. It's, it's shameful how, how bad our tool set can be. It's, it's, it's quite frightening. And that's not just, you know, I say this in Canada when, with even fewer options in the US, but it's not like these options exist anywhere, right? Like it's, it's pretty. And I'll get to my I'll get to my impression of what I saw there. But you're absolutely right that those people were telling you the, the truth. And so so after selling that company, we I couldn't stay still, <laughs> which is exactly what my wife told me. You had the bug. Uh, <laughs> and when it started uh, Digit, so we started in, in 2016. We were incubated at the Phil's Institute in Toronto, which is uh, mm -hmm. one of the top math institutes in in, in the world, actually. Yep. And, Awards the Fields uh, Medal. Yeah, yep. and so we were we were very lucky and, and very proud to do that. And R Square, we also incubated it there. We're there for a year, and uh, we've had now two rounds of financing. We're twenty seven people, and going live with our first group of clients. So it's so it's been a really really exciting journey. And you know, it's I think it's this is where where the uh, audio media is is a, is a limiting factor. I mean, I had the privilege of sitting down and getting to see. A run through of your product. And I, I got to tell you, it, it, by far, in terms of UI and UX, I've never seen anything as good in this industry. The ability that the way you mapped everything out, the way the simplicity of it all, but the, the genius of being able to, I think you described it as, what was it, progressive disclosure? Yeah. You know, you, you basically, you could click down almost, it seemed like almost an infinite number of layers just to keep on getting better data or finding more attribution information. And, you know, it's the kind of disclosure that, you know, in my in my world I can only dream of. So, like I said, that. Time. I was like, wow, fantastic job. So in, in general, I mean, this is a lot. We're talking about a big, you know, almost a revolution here that you're talking about in, in data analytics for the retail, for advisors and, and people facing the retail market. How do you tackle that? I mean, like, I know you had a 20 year progression of figuring this out, but what is it that, you know, how do you put this forth in the most usable way and be able to articulate value from, from the top down? No, and, and, and that's a great question. And I mean, we always get the idea that uh, building this, this, this uh, technology and application, someone comes up with an idea, they build it and they will come, right? Like everyone <laughs> comes and everyone has the uh, perfect idea yes. and it works. And actually it works the other way around. Mm -hmm. So I can tell you, I mean, we, we, were, we were extremely lucky, but, but as we found the opportunity, we really went for it. And yeah. we had a really good opportunity. We, we had four early adopter clients that worked with us between nine and 12 months. And they sat with us and gave us requirements and they were very patient. And the nice thing is if you find a true need, then people will tell you what they need, where their pain points are. And you just have to be willing to sit and listen. And yeah. That's really, I think that's one of the biggest secrets. It's a secret at all, which doesn't sound like it, right? But really, I can tell you the way we started, what we did is we created a very nice prototype just to engage yeah. our users with the basic ideas and the basic tenants. We, we knew where we wanted to be. What I can tell you, where we started was completely different from where we ended because we sat with our clients and we mapped out. So the reason you're saying this is really good, and, and, and I'll give you an, an anecdote. Yesterday I was in Montreal, and I'll, and I'll tell you another anecdote. But, but really one, one of the very interesting things is you go and, and mold it into what users want to do, and you, you figure out the workflow and the problems they have and the things that are difficult for them to do. And 
it's amazing. People do will tell you what those things are. Like yep. the real users typically know what it is, and then you just need to figure out how to make it better, yeah. right? And, yeah, it's, and so it's the challenge to, of they know what their pain is, but they don't necessarily know how to articulate the perfect solution, right? And that's exactly. that's your job to basically say, what's the core? And you hit, hit the nail. They might tell you what the solution is, yeah. but what you really need to listen to is what their problem is, because their solution might it might be well too grounded in what they know. Exactly. But if you do that, then that's what, 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 what we did. So we really spent a lot of time and trying to map the workflow of that wealth manager advisor. And I can tell you, we started from a pure portfolio management perspective. This is what we knew. Yes. But we were very careful. And we realized that the biggest need was, I mean, yes, there's some need on the portfolio management side, but that was not where the biggest hole was. As I said, the biggest hole is in that communication between the advisor and the client. And how you can actually have in one place and map the needs from the client goes and onboards in an easy way. You need to get their KYCs. You need to get understand the risk profile with their questionnaires and not keep them somewhere there and then put them in a, in a file in a drawer. Have a financial plan and then figure out the actual portfolios and the actual compliance rules and the actual things that we'll need. So that at one point you understand the client's psychology and needs mm -hmm. and risk appetite what the financial plan says and what your portfolio has. And the three have to match. Absolutely. Most of the time they don't. No, they don't. So I was going through an exercise today with, with, with one of our clients and, and we were looking at a portfolio and we we're looking at the financial plan and the, financial, the, the client was on a moderate side. So we put in returns that are consistent with moderate and we go and look at the financial plan. You go and see your likelihood of meeting your financial plan are going to be like 7%. Yeah, not uh, a good result. No. That's not going to work. So no. there's two things you need to do. You need to either go to a growth model because you're maybe young enough. And, yeah. and Assuming the risk tolerance constraint is acceptable. To either reduce some expenses yep. or add something. There's no other thing. And then is your portfolio map to that? Yep. And those three things. And typically those things are in different places. So the advisor just goes and once a year looks at yep. them and puts it together and just to be compliant. But if you have it in one place, I mean, the advisor was just looking at it and saying, wow, I have everything in one place. It takes me five minutes to do yeah. that. Yeah, it is. And, it is. Uh, it, you know, it's funny. As you're saying this, I'm taking deep breaths because it's just, it's a common frustration for me. It's like, you know, we do all these wonderful practice management things to ensure the client's properly suited and, and it's all being taken care of, but it's so fragmented and it's 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 just so painful because of that. I, was, I was actually, yes, I, I was mentioning, this is absolutely yeah. a true anecdote and I've never had this. So I had to tell it to someone because uh, I was actually... At, at a fintech conference in, in Montreal, and then we went to see a bunch of clients, a bunch of prospects, and I met with one of the portfolio management, uh, wealth management groups of, of one of the large banks. And as I'm showing him the portfolio in the beginning is, what will you do that I can't do today? So I said, let me just show you what it is, because I can tell you, but yep. what it is. And I'm, I'm going through the first five minutes, just going exactly a little bit of progressive disclosure, right? And the guy goes and says, I get it. I absolutely get it. You're going to show me how you do that. And I show him one particular thing, right? That, that was saying, this takes me a long time. Like, which is the particular fund that is affecting by household level and by account level for which accounts? So mm -hmm. Can you just point out what it is and rank them and see if there's outliers? And I said, would one click work for you? He said, no. <laughs> I, and I just scrolled down and I said, look, here are all, all yep. the asset class. These are the returns. This is the overall change for the entire yep. book. Let me click. And I did it. Now, 
why do we have that one click thing? Because we've had three actually group of advisors telling us we need that. Yeah, instant, right? instant attribution, button click, see what the biggest outlier is. And yeah, I, yeah. And, and so the guy says, so if you talk to the heads in my firm of, of wealth management, if you talk to my boss's boss, whoever you talk to, if I get your platform, I will take higher targets. Hmm. Just for sure, because yeah. this is going to save me so much oh, time. Absolutely. And it's going... I mean, my communication with my clients and, and how I target them is going to yep. be so much more focused. And, and he truly said that. Like, it never occurred to me that someone would say... That this is going to backfire I, and I, hurt me. <laughs> it, 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 it's like, I will take higher targets. I, I'm, yep. I, I'm happy to yep. actually... Well, I mean, he's happy about higher that. targets, but other people would be like, ah, oh, I got to do more now. But, yes, uh, exactly. but I know, it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword. Efficiency can burn both ways. But that I mean... Is, that, I would, is, that is uh, what innovation does, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's a disrupt. It doesn't come with, okay, but how do we do this? Productivity right? gains are consumed. One way or another, either by the yeah, bottom, exactly. the bottom line or in the exactly, middle. Exactly. So that's fantastic. So let's talk about this new model you talked about. I mean, what I'm what I'm getting from it and your general concept of it is is end of the day, we need better tools to service the end client, but more at the same time, not only to execute on that, we have to communicate it and then in return, communicate our value that we are providing to bring to the table. Is that about sum it up? Does that sound good to you? Absolutely. And yeah. I think that's the thing, right? So the advisor has to be able to say, here is why you should come to me. And why you should come to me, of course, if you, if you have a little bit of a secret sauce and, and some people do and some people do better on investment, yeah. that might be one of the values. But I don't think that that's the main value. The main value is you, client, I understand your needs. I understand your entire household needs and yeah. how it works. It's not only getting you a higher return and, and having you a diversified portfolio. And no one can re- no meeting. one can guarantee that, right? Like you can, and no one yeah, can do that. Absolutely. But... Let me do this and we're going to be reviewing it. And this is going to be a dynamic process of how we go and do it. And I'm going to be here with you because there's going to be bad times. There's not always good times. There's sometimes bad times. And here are some tools where I'll be able to tell you because it's part of the plan. By the way, if I hold you in this growth portfolio, realize that, you know, you're going to be with me for the next 15 years. There will be one year when things are not going to Absolutely. be going well. Like it will happen for yep. sure. I guarantee you that in 15 you know, years- Clients don't like hearing it, I'm but not... this is par for the course, right? Like a, a correction that takes X percentage yes. off. This is what we've signed up for, right? Yes, that's the plan. That yep. It's part of the plan. Absolutely. I, we, we knew that and we were planning it. And can I give you some tools to explain you the process? So one of the tools we have, for example, is scenario analysis. And we typically use scenario analysis. So you, you want to figure out, I have a portfolio. If something were to happen over the future, how would my portfolio change or what, what would happen, right? And typically those scenarios could be crisis scenarios. So what would happen to my portfolio if something like the dot-com bubble were to happen now? And typically, and, and they're not backward looking. You might use historical events, but you want to put them, you want to put them on top of what you have today. Exactly. As, as if that were to happen today, yes. given what, what I have in my portfolio today and what the plan is, right? So typically you want to do that. And you want to do that for planning purposes. But I believe actually, and, and again, this is something that, uh, as I was showing it to a client, he's the one who actually told me, by the way, those scenario analysis, except I was talking about, well, you want to explain to show the, the last three months returns to the clients. And he said, no, maybe I don't want to show my three, last three months return to the clients because, you know, yeah. the markets have gone bad. But he says, but you know what I want to show them? Remember those scenarios that you show me? That's it. Because in the scenarios, you can actually show, yes, things go down. But do you have you realized that if you have your portfolio, it's really well balanced and and well diversified if the crisis behaves like the asian crisis 
you will be out in three months. Yeah. And let me show you every crisis, actually, yeah. that has happened. It's All loss in them. context. And that's the key, right? Exactly. Like the last three months, every, you know, everybody, you know, too many people in this in this industry live and die by their last year, right? Yes. And it's one thing to live and die by your last year, but it's something else entirely to show this. You may not be happy with this result. But quite frankly, unfortunately, this is normal because we can't all get 7 to 10% straight line. But let's look at what actually would have happened. And that, that sort of tool set, thank you. <laughs> Absolutely, right. And you can show if yeah. you have a non-diversified portfolio yeah. and a plan where you don't rebalance, et cetera, you're going to it's, do worse. Oh, yeah. And if you get out, also you get, I mean, if, if you just get out trying to time it, you're not going to- You're not going to get it right. It, right. And the other part- Again, your point is the same thing. People have very short memories. So if you, so I, I, I don't know if you remember, yeah. like the first screen we have, a, we like to show a portfolio summary. We yes. People look at your entire portfolio and also look at the entire history of your portfolio. Why? And people say, well, once they start using it, they say, but I don't need to see it all the time. And my point is the last two or three months, people are telling me, I do want to see it all the time because yeah. I want to go to my clients and say, sure, this went down, but let me show you. Let yeah. me remind you of history, right? Let me show you your portfolio it's the last seven years. Yeah. This is a blip. It's interesting it's because they play both sides of the cards, right? Like everybody's like, everybody wants to take the, the pat on the back for, hey, Absolutely. look at what I did this year. But when it's down, it's, oh, look at what I've done to you since the beginning. And and frankly, it's it's the only answer should ever be the beginning, right? And I, you know, whenever I have clients say, wow, that was a great return. It's like, you're right. Do not count on that happening every year. I can pretty much assure you it's not going to. So there will be dark days and you need to hold, stick with me when that happens. So, uh, and, yeah. and by the way, I think this is one area where fully automated, pure robot solutions are going to massively fail because when these things happen, like who do you go to talk to, to get explained, yeah. to get to help you out figuring out and maybe figuring out if you need to redo your, your plan, right? A little bit because yeah. you might need to adjust your plan. It's interesting because I um, I had a conversation with Rob Carrick, a well-known author or writer in, in Canada, and he did a piece or was talking about doing one on people who had left conventional financial services and gone to robo-advisors and left, right? And it wasn't a lack of satisfaction with the investments at all. It was a lack of satisfaction with the level of care that they felt they needed, right? So these are people who said, okay, Absolutely. you know what? Price matters more to me. They go to price, they go to bottom of the barrel pricing. And you know what? That I believe in robo-advisors because I believe there's a market for that, right? And there's a certain, a certain segment for that. Sure. But that's one segment of a market. We can never mistake that for being the entire market. And these people have said, you know what? I've gone to zero service and you know what? I'm not happy with that. And I do need more handholding. And I do value that. And now they're able to turn around and if anything, value the advisor they go to even more. Right. So you're you're right. Like I think that the they're gonna see like anything else. I think they're gonna be as volatile as a market, right? Like they're gonna see the inflows match when markets are hot and you're gonna see the outflows go out when the markets are bad, right? Because but that's kind of the experience they sell, right? And you know, even if they diversify, they're still gonna have that. So I, I gotta say, one of the things that you actually provide what looks like out of the box is besides the entire advisor console, like again, you thought this through as an end-to-end basically value proposition. So you are literally pushing out, out of the gate, a an app that pushes out this exact same data that's that the advisor is seeing, right? For the client. For the client. Yeah, absolutely. So the idea is the client themselves yes. uh, get an app, and which could be on your mobile phone or on the web, where you, the advisor has the, the opportunity to put in all the information that they want to their client. And again, because we have this nice concept of progressive disclosure, the idea is for the advisor to be able to walk them. So one of the things that we're discussing is also how we deploy that, right? So mm -hmm. we, I mean, again, things I hadn't thought through at all when we said, look, I want to democratize it and I want to create transparency yep. and 
Those and are principles and values. And the I facts? can tell you, I'm yeah. preaching to, to advisors saying, provide all transparency. I know, yes, they're going to ask more questions in the beginning. Not everyone is going to understand everything, but eventually. But there is a good point where you probably want to figure out the process of releasing that information by also educating, counseling, yeah. coaching the clients. And I think that's, that's, a, that's a very good point. So one thing we're learning, we're spending quite a bit of time, is thinking through now, how do we deploy it to make it really effective? Because the yeah. idea is not just to create transparency yeah. for transparency. You say. throw a price on the table without the context of value and you have an argument. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So you give a maximum drawdown graph to yeah. a client without any context and they're going to say, why is that all red? And why, why can I do it? And you need to explain to them that's absolutely the absolute worst scenario that could have yeah. happened. Why do we think about it, etc. Right. So you want to do that, or or maybe you don't want to do that if you think the psychology of the client is to be a little bit too nervous. So I think you have to also take into account the client psychology. And in the end, it's not to create transparency just for transparency sake. It's to help your clients more. And yeah. The question is, how do you do that? Yeah, you're pitching the converted. I, you know, I took a page of the UK model. My clients sign off on the fees once a year and I put them in plain English. And yeah, it, it basically makes that part of the conversation. But also, you know, we've had clients say, you know, you're not cheap, but frankly, everything we get out of here, we totally value it. Right. So, and it's, it's, it gets, you know, it's, it's a different environment when you're moving for an environment where people <laughs> don't see that they're nervous. Like they're worried. You, you worry about your value proposition until you're secure in it. So, I mean, it's, it's definitely one of those things that information wants to be free in many ways. And that's one of the pieces that everybody wants to know. And basically the interesting thing too, is that what I love about this is that you're pairing this with the financial planning data, which to me, the, the ultimate dream is taking that plan and making it live, literally making it as live as possible. So essentially you're taking, you're dememonstrating the portfolio returns in the context, the context of the overall goal, right? Exactly. And that's, that's so valuable. Exactly. In the context of the overall goal and in the context of the overall risk profile, Yes. do you fit into that risk profile? We map you into a growth yep. portfolio or we map you into a conservative portfolio, but is your risk profile, is your portfolio yep. truly doing that? And that's something that, again, if you have the end-to-end -end solution in one place, any trade that you do, any change that you do in your model portfolios into whatever, you can actually go and check. Like, actually, the system automatically does that for you. Mm -hmm. And this is where where the technology and a little bit of, of artificial intelligence or, or even just simpler tools will give you alerts to tell you, look, you have this portfolio with this particular mandate. If you do these things, they're going to go either too close to being outside of the mandate yep. or outside of the mandate. Are you comfortable with it? Because the answer might be yes. Well, it's interesting because the other way around too is the, the client will often come to you with the latest hot Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. Like, oh, what about these marijuana stocks? <laughs> or what about this Bitcoin thing, right? And it's like, look, here's uh, what you said you're comfortable with. I slap in even 10% of this. Look at how everything goes askew. Uh, Right. So it's it's great. It's a great vehicle in both directions. I, I, I've seen exactly that. Yeah. By the way. Exactly that example yeah. where that's the case. And, and at some point you want to say, are, are you comfortable? And, and, and yep. in the end, it should be the client's decision making. But again, it's the idea of aiding them and yeah. saying, it's are funny. you comfortable going there? 100%. It's funny because one of the one of the simple tools we use for demonstrating risk is we have a table that shows all the different risk, all the profiles we use. Mm -hmm. And we talk about range of returns. The one band that is there in every slide is expected downside, right? So yeah, this so is what the model measure. tells us the downside is going to be. I can pretty much assure you at some point, you're going to sit across from me and that's going to be the number. And guess what? If you've got a million dollars invested and that number is negative 15, that's $150,000. Does that sound like something you could stomach, right? And, you know, invariably, no matter where they are, they take a deep breath and they're like, 
yeah, okay, if I'm if I'm doing all this, okay, or no, not a chance, right? Because you know, 15% of a million versus 15% of 100,000 are two very different numbers. So a couple of questions before we wrap yeah, up, yeah. three I typically ask, what are the major challenges that you feel you've encountered and how did you overcome them in developing this? Oh, oh, there's- I didn't say this short, it wasn't gonna be short. <laughs> so, oh, okay, so, yeah. so, so the challenges are all levels, right? So there's challenges in starting a company. I mean, I mean, <laughs> it, it, yeah. given that I'm, I'm going at a third time at a, in, in a startup and the second one that I started really on, on my own, it seems like, uh, Oh, you Either can't I'm a masochist yeah. or, or I know what I'm doing, and, and it's probably the latter. Um, <laughs> it, look, you, there's a lot of challenges in getting started. As I said, the first big challenge is getting your first client. Yes. And the second yes. big challenge is getting your second client. But getting that, those first clients, those people who are willing to work with you when you don't fully have the product finished, and, but they're willing to trust you. And, and it gets easier once you have a little bit of a track record, but it never gets easy enough. It's really hard to get the trust. And I have amazing respect and appreciation for those early adopter clients who have actually sat with us and put their trust. I really feel yeah. an amazing responsibility for them because they really put their trust in us before we, we go in. And that was one of the biggest challenges, but as I said, we, we were extremely lucky. And of course, when we saw it, we, we really took the opportunity and we took it by the horns and, and have done very, very well. The second one is always an internal one. You need to build a really good team. It's, mm -hmm. it's in the end, I know it sounds like a cliche, but it is about it's people. It's not, no, it's and, very true. And people say that, but most people say that and they don't really act on it. And for us, it's been really, <laughs> really, really, no, it's serious. No, right? no, no, I'm laughing because you're absolutely uh, right. I've seen it so many times. Like we, we are, our... we are, yeah. I mean, the software, what I tell people is, is always, and I tell our investors is yes, the software, that's what you're looking at and what you think you're investing in, but it's not that software that you're investing in, because if that software remains as it is now, your investment is, is, is really bad. Yeah. What you're counting on is that those people that actually build it are going to really take it to the next level. Absolutely. So it's all about people and building that team and creating that team dynamics and being able to do that. We've been, uh, we have a phenomenal team. We have quite a few of, of, of our team came from, from our square and even have some, some people from algorithmics all the way back. So, so people who have been working with us for, and, uh, for a while. And then we have a, a few young guys who are just out of the charts, right? In, yeah. in terms of how good, good they are. So building that team and making sure that you keep on doing them and providing the right tools for them to build it because it's really the team who's building it. And that's the key thing. No one builds anything on their own anymore. You can't. No, it's God, all no. about the team. How do you encourage and figuring out how, how to do that? And, and even if you did, it wouldn't be as good. Them. Like, I mean, you can't, you can't, the one person's viewpoint on yeah. the universe is not going to produce the best results. I mean, like you see that even in studies of, you know, codes of diverse, uh, coding teams of diversified groups of people from different backgrounds and genders and whatever yeah. produce better results, right? So it makes perfect sense. So I think that, the, and, and I look at those and those are really the, I mean, they're the toughest challenge. I think if you solve those two, uh, yeah you are a long way ahead of the game because yeah. then funding can flow then a lot of stuff flows right now my biggest challenge is now i'm, I'm really trying to plan for scale we're going live with our first group of clients we're going to have probably about 13 14 billion of aum when we sorry are you live. sleeping at night or are you losing sleep over it? uh, <laughs> look as i said I'm, I'm very excited so i'm kind of losing uh, sleep because i'm excited but i'm also losing sleep because I'm nervous, right? Yeah, it's a scale. huge responsibility. You know, things work uh, well, but you throw a lot of volume and, at them. And, it's and a different we're going story. Out with a few thousand households and a few hundred yep. users, so it's good. But we, we're, I'm looking now. 
at our next uh, set of goals, right? So we're looking out at now onboarding another 10 clients, another 20 clients by next year, bringing in, going to the US. So how do I build scale and maintain the culture? Because we move fast. We have a phenomenal culture of innovation. People are really, really smart. They can put in their, their thoughts through. And so how do you keep that as you're growing? And, and I've seen it now a couple of times, so I know that's not easy to do. But it's also a very exciting stage because if you can figure out that scale and you can bring in now the right people to help you think about it in, a, in the commercial sense and the business development sense, then um, that's really my biggest challenge now. And when I think about it, it's all about people. If I so, get the right people on board, I'll solve it. And if not, yeah. I'm not going to solve it. Any business owner who's who's worth their salt and never accomplished anything knows that that is that is gospel. That is the truth. It is you know you find the people who believe in you early, find the right people to execute on that vision, and uh, as you grow, it's a challenge, but it's great. So if you had one wish, if one thing you can change in the industry or in your business, what would that be? Oh, one thing you can change in the industry. I'm kind of doing it. I'm, I mean, this is my <laughs> wish. I I mean, this is why. Well, Look, I, yeah. I've been very excited. I, I learned about finance and risk management and, and portfolio management, all the thing. But one of the things, as I said, that that I feel so passionately now with with with, with Digit, and and I think a more than than the previous ones, is just we really have. I mean, our tools now have direct impact on individuals and people and family. And yeah. I'm in the end a little bit of a geek, and I love analytics and I love math and. So if there's areas where math has a huge impact, it's, mm -hmm. it's in finance and the ability to make sure that that gets used for a wider group of people and that it becomes, it's, it helps solve real problems, which, as I said, have huge impacts on people's lives. I find it phenomenal. So I, I think that what I would change is I think the changes that, that are happening, I think financial advisors are going to provide much, much better service and tools to their clients using analytics and using good analytics, but not using analytics blindly as mm -hmm. a robot, but using analytics and understanding the psychology and the well-being of those uh, households and families that, that they do, whether they're wealthy or ultra-wealthy or middle class or or even if they help uh, save money to families with a little bit of a struggle. And if we can just have a little dent there, I would be very, yeah. very, very happy. I got it. You know, you lose sight of you know, the institutional side. You lose sight of the fact of the, of the grassroots, what's happening in people's lives and being able to participate in the retail side. You have to see that firsthand. And as for Happy, if you can't tell from his voice, he's been smiling the entire time. He's been talking <laughs> about his business. So, And then the last question, I mean, I mean, you may have already answered this. What is the thing that excites you the most about what you're working on? I think maybe that was the wish, wasn't it? Or have you already answered that? So when I started working in finance and doing all the analytics, of course, what, what got me massively excited was the models and the analytics. And I had a phenomenal research group and we were doing these really cool analytics and Monte Carlo simulations and we're publishing papers. So the math really excited me. Yeah. And what now excites me the most is actually even simpler tools, but being used with a very, very specific objective to help those clients or solve that specific problem. So once it, that's the part that every time I see it and I see people appreciating it and saying, this is going to change mm -hmm. the way we do business. That, you think I have a smile now, like that puts a smile that I can't. Yeah. Uh, well, of course, you're, take, you're, taking that pride, impact. you're taking pride in your child, right? Like, <laughs> that's basically what's happening. But as I said, yeah. I, I love the fact that 
math and this geeky stuff that looks like uh, you know no, no one is using really oh, can be used and and to change people's life yeah, well, in, in a really really positive way. Yeah, well, I, I look at thing. look at everything we do in life as being part of math. The math, you know, the recorder I'm on right now, the TV <laughs> I watch tonight. It's you know, unless you appreciate that, it's everything comes back to the numbers. So. Dan, thank you. This has been wonderful. I'm sure everybody's going to love this. And uh, basically, uh, thank, well, thanks again. It's <laughs> like I say, take care. Thank you, Jason. Thanks, right. thanks so much. So that was my interview with Dan Rosen. Clearly, I've seen the product and I'm very impressed by what I've seen. And I'm looking forward to see how Dan progresses and getting my hands on it for a longer period of time. And with that, I'm Jason Pereira. This is FinTech Impact. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Thank you. Until next time. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at fintechimpact.co.